This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Oh, goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh he oh. he's the Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Ishmael Johnson here on a first official NFL Sunday here as usual. Mike Craven. Mike, what's up man? What's going on Ish? Yeah, so like I said, uh, first weekend of NFL Sunday, uh, this first weekend of, of I guess the usual fall rotation that I'm used to. Of course, wake up, uh, go to a game Friday night for high school, wake up, watch some Premier League soccer, goes right into college football Saturday, wake up, do the same thing again with more uh, Premier League soccer, and then you get the NFL. I mean, this is how I picture my falls. This is how I prefer my falls. It was nice to kind of have that uh, full slate of uh, sports on the weekend back. Yeah, it was, and it was nice to, to kind of go to a game. I, I do think there's two different experiences. There's like when you can kind of sit around and watch as many football games as possible. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's like a different one being in a press box. I used to always joke with my friends. They'd ask me all sorts of like football questions or whatever. And I'd be like, dude, you watch more football than I do. Like <laughs> I, I can't, I can't sit there and watch six or seven games. If like, I got to do one game at a, at a venue. Right. Yeah. No, hundred percent. You maybe like you can watch that game and then maybe have like one on your, on your laptop or something and kind of pay attention to that one as well. But it really isn't, you know, you can't multitask. And then uh, especially when you're at a live game, you can't really multitask that much and claim you're doing a really good job. At least in my opinion, I can't be sure. saying I'm focusing on one game or two games when I have like three on my laptop. Yeah. And you got the press conference afterwards yeah. and, and getting there beforehand and stuff. So you just kind of miss a pretty, you know, pretty much the full day yeah. uh, of football when you're doing that. Basically. All right. So let's get into the week. Um, heading into the week, I kind of thought this would be pr a pretty blah weekend. Um, wah, and, wah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, for the most part, you know, it was pretty blah, but I mean, where it wasn't, it, it was very much the opposite. So we'll get to those games in a bit. We're going to start, of course, in reverse order at the power pole. Um, I can already tell you that this will probably change based on some of the results this weekend. Um, but let's go ahead and get started with Rice at number 12. Of course, Rice loses to Houston 44 to 7. Let's start with, uh, before we get to Houston, let's start with Rice. Uh, they announced that Luke McCaffrey would be starting this game. And... I think we kind of called this game in terms of what we kind of would see. Everybody thought, oh, Rice looked good for three quarters against Arkansas. What does that, you know, is this their best shot at Houston? You know, yes and no, I kind of thought. Um, I think, I don't know, Luke McCaffrey, I think we saw why it was maybe a little bit, they were a little bit hesitant to declare him over Wiley Green or pick one in particular. I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a, this is a case of you have two good quarterbacks. I think this, I think this is a case of they have two guys that they're not really sure of. Um, and I think for the most part, that kind of, th that kind of confirmed my, a lot of my fears in this one. 
Hey, you could tell they really wanted to hand over those reins to McCaffrey and him mm-hmm. have a, a solid game, even if they didn't win, just have a good game where they could go, okay, here's our quarterback. Now we can kind of move on to, to maybe fixing some other problems, but you're right through week, two weeks. Uh, we have no idea what their quarterback situation is. If it's going to go back to Wiley green, get some snaps, what, what it's going to look like. So uh, the three interceptions is what stood out to me. It's, it's mm-hmm. one thing. Uh, to maybe kind of miss some receivers, not have the continuity and chemistry that you will in a couple of weeks. Cause he, he did kind of get there over the summer as a transfer. So, but it's the bad decisions. And, and when you're not, I, I don't, I don't think I'm offending anyone when I say you're not a good football team, right? You're not mm-hmm. like, you're not going to go out there and out talent many p- teams on your schedule. You have to play clean and rice just did not play clean at all yesterday. Yeah. I think if I'm rice, I'm probably a lot more disappointed in the defense as well. Um, this is a defense that was supposed to be pretty improved, right? When the games they did look good in last year, it was because of that defense that turned the ball over and was able to hold things in check. And you were going up against a guy who can be pretty combustible in Clayton tune. And he played one of his cleanest games of his career so far. And I think that was, you know, 44 to seven, I think is, is, is the, is the black mark, not necessarily losing to Houston. Um, you know, you, uh, you mentioned how, you know, you're not going to out talent these teams. So in some ways you have to out execute. And, you know, you mentioned what, what, what does a Mike Bloomgren team want to do? They want to run the ball, not turn the ball over, play good defense. They didn't run the ball. Well, 36 carries on for 126. Kalen Griffin had almost a hundred, almost 20 carries for under 90 yards. Um, they didn't force uh, any turnovers, I think, or they did force a couple, but they, uh, I think Houston got all the, the, the fumbles back and your offense turns the ball over. I mean, you can't really expect to even look good playing that game. So I'd say overall, this was their, I think this was their best bet to look good against Houston in a long time. And they really didn't. Yeah. It, you know, you look really good against a, an Arkansas team that now, <laughs> looks like a, a really good football team, right? right. If you, ba- you back up that performance against Houston, win or lose, you got some things going into Conference USA. And now that that first three quarters against Arkansas uh, looks a, a long ways away. Because mm-hmm. if you add in that last quarter um, to Arkansas and then the, the four quarters against Houston, now that's 65 to seven, yeah. you know, for, for Rice. And so that, that uh, that's not a good sign. Yeah. Uh, moving on to number 11, we got Texas State 23-17 at FIU. Uh, this one for me, so I saw I saw all of this game, and this one started off very impressive. They go down the field, they score, boom, here we go. Like, this offense looks good. They're not playing a Baylor-caliber defense anymore. Um, and then the offense just stalls out. Like, they have three, three points through the next uh, – after that, basically the next three quarters until the, until the fourth quarter. They get three points on the board. They're running the ball decently, but not consistently enough. I don't think they stick with it enough. I, I wasn't a fan of some of the play calling. Um, Jake Spavadol's teams, as, as you know, going back to his AM days, are very much um, uh, they very much rely on the wide receiver screen game. I don't think the wide receiver blocking is there to really uh, to really kind of establish that. And in this game, it showed uh, when they went long, when they went deep to Javen Banks, Marcel Barbie when they let uh, uh, Brady McBride attack the outsides, it worked. Um, Offensive line wasn't great. This one to me was one completely with that defense. And I remember me and you talking about, you know, depending on whatever Texas state's results are this year is going to be dependent. There's going to be a critique on his strategy, right. On this transfer strategy. Mm -hmm. I think this game 
in some ways vindicated that because the defense is the side with the newcomers. The defense is the side with Nick McCann from Texas Tech, DeMarquise Hayes, D.C. Williams, these transfers coming in. And they've looked through two games. They've looked the better side as opposed to the offense with the continuity, with the guys that they've built through a couple years. Um, you know, it's only two games. They get away with a win in overtime. Um, you know, uh, you know, win is a win. They come back home now. Um, I think they come back home. I'm trying to think. They might. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They got. Yeah. They got uh, UIW. So you know, they come back home now um, against UIW. A team they should win. A team they should beat. <clears throat> but I'm still having some. Um, if he thoughts about this offense. I, the UTSA grad is going to feel a little bit about Texas state than you do. I, <laughs> I you know, they're, they're a plus one and a half underdog. Um, you know, they go up 10, nothing. Uh, then they're down 17, nothing going into the fourth quarter. And, and that's a game that you can throw in, right? Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you've been outscored 17 to nothing in the second and third quarter. You're on the road. Um, and instead of kind of just folding, you know, yeah. they come back, they tie the game, they win the game in overtime. Um, so, yeah, was it a, a tremendous performance? No, it, it wasn't pretty at all. Uh, but they're one and one coming back home against a UIW team that, like you said, they should be able to beat. Uh, I think a lot of their stuff is fixable. A lot of their stuff are, are things that can improve on. And the, the defenses look pretty good through two weeks. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that will go in, I guess, more in your favor of, of being uh, it being a win nonetheless is this is a game they lose last year. I'm looking back on it. Right. Uh, you have. Uh, SMU, UTSA, I'm looking at games that basically are one score. SMU, UTSA, Boston College, uh, South Alabama was 10 points. I mean, those are uh, Georgia Southern and Arkansas State. Those are all games that were basically, that was either 10 points or single digits. And again, this is a game they definitely more more often lose last year, whether it's a dumb penalty or big turnover or something. Um, So I guess that that is something in your favor. And you just kind of hope now that you get a a quote unquote cleanup game, right? To fix all a lot of these mistakes against UIW in in, uh, comfortable confines. So um, again, I I was, I was, (laughs) I tweeted out a little, picture of uh peter griffin about to press the button because i said nobody panic after baylor and in the middle of this game i was like uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there but um i'm not ready to panic yet you know look right against uiw go into a fairly winnable game against uh, eastern michigan and we'll see what happens by the time conference starts all right moving on to number 10 oh man okay uh utep they had the thursday slot or Friday slot, excuse me, um, against uh, Boise State. Um, hmm. So this was fun for about a quarter. <laughs> and then Dana Dimmel uh, kicks a field goal inside the five. And I don't know if you know, uh, Craven, about this new rule that uh, uh, college football instituted this year. If you're an underdog on the road and you kick a field goal inside the five, you have to lose. um that basically that's what happens the game's fairly close Uh, i believe it's three to seven at this point um or ten three i think at this point uh they get they get inside the five and they kick a field goal i don't i i don't get it your boys your your utep on the road and you make a seven point uh, a, a seven point game a four point game i don't i don't know i don't get the mentality behind that go for it what do you have to lose and sure enough from that point boise state just blows it open 
Now, maybe we can get into this at a, at a different time, but I'm, I'm banned kickers from college football. You know, like I, <laughs> there, there's not many times where it's a good idea to kick a field goal and inside the five yard line is absolutely not one of those times. Um, we used to call that the Frank Wilson at, at UTSA. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. You know, I think the thing with UTEP for me is the, the defense, you know, the, yeah. the first six quarters of this season, they gave up three points, the last mm-hmm. six quarters, you know, they've give up 69. So yeah. um, some of that's competition, um, but there's something clearly going on there. And, you know, we always, we knew that Boise state game was going to be a loss. I mean, that was going to be, uh, you know, I think they were 26 and a half point underdogs or on the road, uh, but you want them to look better than that at least defensively and it just looked like they did not have the athletes to to keep up yeah yeah i think that um i think that the the thing that we were looking for in this game was that you were hoping that utep was in a place as a program to where they weren't this result wasn't going to happen right in terms of the, the fashion that this result happened um you were hoping that utep was starting to turn a corner to where okay you don't get your pants pulled down by a a, a good group of five team and right. i mean it, it the the people will point to like the total yardage and yes it was comparable for like three quarters but i mean there's a reason why it's because they were giving them the ball with short field and boise state was scoring like that's how it was happening it wasn't like utep was dominating and they just had some bad luck it was like no they were turning the ball over it wasn't bad luck they were just playing poorly um they had six turnovers three fumbles for loss of course gavin hardison had three interceptions um me and Shahan had a running joke last year of is Gavin Hardison good? Um, Cause he would show one week he'd be pretty decent. And then he'd have a game like this where he'd throw three picks and frustrate the hell out of you. So um, that story is ongoing. <laughs> I think he's clearly the best option they have. And when you compare him to Kai Loxley and what they've had in the past, I think he's obviously an upgrade, but I think the thing I'm settling on right now is he's, he's Cusa good. He's, he's good enough to compete in Cusa um, which I mean, if for, for UTEP, that is a mile away from where you've been. So who knows? Yeah, it's, it's an improvement, but you know, you're two and oh, you're going in that game. You can have some real momentum coming out of it. And it just doesn't feel like one of those games that there's too much feel good to take, to take from it. Sure. Exactly. So moving on to North Texas, North Texas, 35 to 12, uh, they lose to SMU. I'm fairly optimistic about this one. I, this game was very competitive for the most part. Um, the score and the scoreline kind of indicates a couple big plays SMU had late. Um, I think that SMU, uh, North Texas defense was actually pretty good. Tanner Mordecai made a couple mistakes. Um, again, this one just boiled down to, uh, SMU having playmakers like Ulysses Bentley and, uh, Rasheed Rice and North Texas not, but, the thing that really stood out to me was I think North Texas has their quarterback. I think Jace Reuter is their guy. I think they got to ride him. He made a couple mistakes. One of them was on a tip pass that was intercepted. Um, they ran the ball decently with uh, mainly with DeAndre Torrey. Um, and that was kind of their, their only guy, but Roderick Burns uh, had a couple big plays. Tommy Bush showed up uh, shout out, uh, shout out that class of wide receiver um, a couple from a couple of years ago. So he made it, he made it, he had a, a 20 yard pass or 20 yard reception. I like, I like this team. I think this team is, uh, we were kind of unsure of what to make of them from week one. I think with Jace Reuter, I'm a little more intrigued now. And now they get UAB and, you know, that's going to be a decent test for them. But after what they showed for three quarters against SMU, I'm pretty interested in what UNT has. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think you throw away that last quarter, and if you're North Texas, you look at what you did well that first three quarters, and, and you really try to build on it. Like you said, the, the biggest thing you take away from this game is we have a guy at quarterback who can win some football games for us that can put us in positions to win football games. And uh, that's a big deal. That's going to help DeAndre Torrey. That's going to help that running game get better and better. Now SMU is a better football team. It's got more depth. You know, it's going to most likely run away with it as the game goes on. The offensive line, defensive line can start really impacting the game on both sides. But uh, for North Texas, uh, you know, you found, you got a wide receiver, you know, Roderick Burns is really mm-hmm. good. You got kind of a go-to target on the outside that can command double teams. You got a quarterback who looks like he can get him the ball and that's going to make life easier uh, for the running game defensively. You know, we saw that SMU offense and what it can do. We know Sonny Dykes is, is really capable of putting up points and coming up with some stuff offensively. So uh, I, I'm not going to hold that last quarter against them too much. I thought for a lot of that game, the defense looked pretty good sound. Yeah. Didn't do anything special, didn't do anything exotic or anything like that, but kept it in front of them, made tackles, stopped the run, did some things that they needed to do. Yeah, definitely. I think that and, – and it doesn't hurt to have a guy like Austin Ani as your backup. We'll talk about uh, in a bit uh, the value of backups in a couple of games. But um, Austin Ani, I think you saw the ceiling of the team with him, and I think that it's a, it, it's a ceiling of very much okay – and in the Conference USA, in some games, sometimes you just need okay. But I think Jace Ruder gives them a little bit more to where, you know, North Texas could punch their way into that middle pack of Conference USA, which I think is, I mean, outside of the very top, I'd say this conference is manageable when you get to that kind of nebulous middle. I wouldn't say there's a really set power rankings when it uh, when you get outside maybe the top two or three. So, um, yeah, I think Jace Ruder gives them a little bit more of that ceiling. Yeah, they have a bigger upside offensively with him, and, and you're right. They can overachieve with a, with a solid offense as long as the defense can stop the big play. Right. All right, moving on to Houston. Mentioned it earlier, beat Rice 44-7. to um, That's what I wanted. <laughs> that's literally what I wanted from this team. I think that we talked about how people were, including us, we had some questions about, oh, is this the panic button time for Dana? And then they just come out with a game and they just get right. Right. They just look Clayton Toon looks absolutely sound. 22 of 30, 236 for two touchdowns. Had a uh it was funny. I don't know if you saw the long touch, uh, the long run he had of 42 yards where mm-hmm. he burned the entire defense and then he pulled up with a cramp because <laughs> it was like he, he hit the afterburners a little too hard and he just had to like gimp out of bounds holding his thigh. And I was like, Oh, that's that's he confused his hamstring. His hamstring <laughs> was confused at what, what was happening. They don't ask him to do that too much. Right. It was like a, he thought he had De'Aaron King's hamstring for a bit and just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but he looked great. I mean, this, this team was running the ball pretty decently. Um, he ran the ball pretty well and they just absolutely put to bed a rice team that was kind of feeling itself a little bit. Um, and they look good. Like I mentioned, the defense just completely shut down whatever Rice wanted to do. Uh, they forced turnovers. They made and, and the biggest thing, Clayton Toon did not turn the ball over, which is something that he's always capable of. So if I'm Houston, I'm feeling great. You know, it's, it's not exactly the sky high start to the season, but you got right. And now you have another uh, uh, game you're pro- you're likely going to win against Grambling. And then you go into a bad Navy team that just fired its offensive coordinator. I think this is the start of potentially something going for Houston. Yeah, and I think the tendency is always to overreact for week one. I mean, we'll yeah. talk a little bit more with that with Texas and Texas Tech later. But, you know, I, I think we saw a, a bad half, a bad response 
uh, from Houston, and this is more of, of who they are. And this is why you schedule Rice after a Texas Tech game. You know that first game is going to probably show you some things that you weren't able to find out about your team in the offseason, some cracks and some holes that you need to fill. And then you get Rice, you get Grambling to kind of ease those out and go, okay, okay, we need to work on this, we need to work on that. These games will allow us to do it. In the games against Rice, in games that you're supposed to win by big margins, you want to have a fast start, you want to play a clean game, and you want to come away healthy. It felt like Houston did all three of those things, and so that's going to help the mood inside that locker room. And, you know, they're joining the Big 12. There's more expectations on them. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some more eyeballs on them this year. So if they can build momentum over those next two or three games before they get into the real teeth of the conference schedule, that's going to serve them a lot of good. Yeah, we'll definitely get into uh, them joining the Big 12 during the week. Uh, we have some more time to discuss that. Uh, that move became official, of course, uh, this week. It was them uh cincinnati ucf and uh who was the last one i'm forgetting byu byu there you go so uh we'll talk more about that this week what that means for those programs for the big 12 except uh, for the domino effect that's probably going to come down now um uh during the week on the wednesday show moving on to uh baylor and speaking of another, another team that did exactly what i wanted it to do baylor 66 texas southern seven Gary Bahannon looked good throwing the ball deep. They ran the ball with ease again. 43 carries for 419 on the ground. Uh, Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner, again, over 100 yards. Both um, uh, McWilliams as well hit over 100 yards. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, Tate McWilliams. And I think this is, I mean, the defense was going to do its thing, right? Uh, Tech Southern was never going to really get anything going. But I have wanted to see this offense Basically, uh, I wanted them to have tape of what this offense is supposed to look like, right? I wanted to see Gary Bannon start to throw the vertical ball, which he did a little bit more uh, to Tyquan Thornton, and they they put their foot down. And I, I was hoping this would be a confidence game, you know, heading into Sunday film session where they're like, okay, cool, this is how this offense works. This is how you get the vertical passing game going. This is how you get the balance going. And... You know, uh, I think Gary Bahannon looked really good. I think he had a, a shaky 50-50 game against Texas State. This was his game to get right. He got right. Yeah, it's a confidence builder. That's why it's on your schedule is to, yep. you know, to kind of to build some confidence around the team. Uh, I think they did that. They took some shots deep, which I which mm-hmm. I was a fan to see. I do think that's something that this Baylor offense needs to purposely try to do. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be able to run the ball. They're probably going to have a good quick passing game. But even if it doesn't work all the time, they need to take some shots down the field. That'll get an extra safety out of the box. That'll make Bohannon's job a lot easier. That offensive line is great. Yeah. Like, that, that, like it is a really, I know tech, it's Texas Southern. Maybe that's a little bit, you know, too much, but they are a really good offensive yeah. line. I think that's going to be a strength of this team. The defense flies around to the football. So it's just going to be about that passing game, the consistency um, that they can have there. Uh, it was a good step forward. Again, it's Texas Southern. So we probably shouldn't draw, you know, huge conclusions but sure. uh, it's what it's what they need it's better than you know if it was 23 to 14 you know uh, you know so uh, they were able to come out there and win that football game and and, and see a lot of different guys i think that mm-hmm. was another thing for david aranda you know he hasn't been out with coming through on, on a pandemic and stuff he hadn't been able to see the depth of this team as much as he'd like to he got to get a lot of guys in there and that's a good thing as well yeah moving on to seven or oh, no sorry it's number six uh smu mentioned it beat North Texas 35 to 12. I actually didn't mind this result because I don't mind this young SMU team kind of getting punched in the mouth. Um, they, it's not a, they, again, North Texas isn't a bunch of bad players. So this isn't a game that, 
you know, shouldn't necessarily surprise them or, but, but I, I don't mind this kind of game, right? Tanner Mordecai had such a flawless debut that you don't, I don't mind him making mistakes and them still pulling out a win because th- this was, I don't know, this shows to me where the program is at. You have a guy like Rasheed Rice, you have guys like Ulysses Bentley who can literally turn the game on a dime. I mean, they, I think they get shut out in the, the red zone really early. I think they have a, uh, a goal line opportunity. They get shut down. North Texas holds a six nothing lead for a while. And then Rasheed Rice hits a 62 yard pass uh, reception, just burns the whole defense. Ulysses Bentley, 85 yard reception. Like uh, they have playmakers. They have big time playmakers. And Tanner Mordecai got the mistakes out of the way, made the big plays late. Grant Calcaterra again, coming up big with a big touchdown late. Um, I think this was a, this was a great, this was a solid performance once they got the mistakes out of the way. I mean, this is a team that could be fun and explosive, and this is exactly what they want to be, what, what they want to be. And they responded after that first half. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. sure they heard about that performance when they got into halftime and instead of continuing it, they were able to outscore them 23 to six in the second half. I, I think that shows a, a mature football team an experienced football team and, and one that, that knew, they were better than North Texas. And if they just executed and did what they were supposed to do, their, their superior athletes were going to get some opportunities to go do big things. And for mm-hmm. Tanner Mordecai, I don't want to say he's a game manager because he's already thrown for 11 touchdowns in two <laughs> games or whatever. So, but he's got so many athletes around him that where if he can just like Clayton tune at Houston, if he can mm-hmm. avoid the bad mistakes, get the ball out in space to his guys, let them go, you know, cause it can be one of those things where, you know, you have 300 yards passing and 200 of it was after the catch or something. Sure, you know? sure, you sure. have some, you have some guys out there. So I I'm with you. I, I think it was a good learning experience for this team. They probably, you know, had, had read some of their press clippings throughout the week, kind of slept, walked into that first half and really responded. Yeah, definitely. I think. And the other thing was, uh, it seems like Ulysses Bentley is their um, uh, feature back. And last year at times it looked like he struggled with with the, the 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 carry load but this year they're balancing him out a lot more Trey Siggers had 10 carries uh Ulysses Bentley they also flared him out had uh two catches for 20 21 yards and a touchdown um I think they're using him in a lot of different ways and of course they still have that stable back there with Tyler Levine um uh, in kind of the third running back slot so uh another situation for them to show and flash a lot of guys and a lot of guys to make big plays too all righty, moving on to number five, Texas Tech. Um, okay, what did I say in the week? I said SFA is a team that's going to absolutely believe they can beat Texas Tech. I didn't think it would get this close, but I absolutely believe that Colby Carthel would tell his team that we can go beat these guys in Lubbock, and they were a goal line stop away from beating these guys in Lubbock. Um, I think if I'm Tech... It was, it was funny. There were a lot of guys, there were a lot of people on Texas Tech Twitter saying, I don't understand why Sonny Cumbie's not running the ball more. And all the TCU fans were like, ha, see, like, they, were, <laughs> they were just so, they were so ready to just point the finger and say, now nah, you know how it feels. Um, Tyler Shuck was, was, was fine. I don't know. I do think that they were, that they passed the ball a little bit too much. Um, uh, Taj Brooks had 11 carries for 115 yards. He had a 67 yard touchdown. So I don't know how much that, ballooned it a little bit uh ballooned the success a little bit but i do think that matt wells wants a little bit more balance than what they got um and or uh, not even balance i'd say a little bit more relying on the running game because this game was never out of reach right it was just kind of like okay when when's tech gonna pull away and they just never did um 
I think that was kind of the frustration was that you saw that Tech was clearly the more talented team, but you just never quite saw them pull things away. The defense was bend, don't break, right? You had Trey Self who threw for over 300 yards, but only one touchdown and he needed almost 60 passes to do it. And so it was very much a bend, don't break attempt. And they ended up, you know, uh, stopping him late um, as time expired. But I don't know, you start off the game with a pick six, um, uh, I think on Tech's second drive or third drive, I can't remember in the first quarter. And it just kind of hung around there. And I don't know, I, I complimented SFA a lot during the week because I do think that Colby Carthos building is something really, really impressive there. But if you're tech, I mean, man, I, I'm feeling pretty uh, shooken after last week's big win. <laughs> yeah, it, I, it felt like, so last week against Houston, when they were down 14-0 and then had that dominant second half, it, it felt like Texas Tech showed a ton of maturity. Mm-hmm. This week, it, it showed a little bit of immaturity you know you could tell they had gotten up for that houston game they had probably talked about that for months all through right. the offseason you're kind of aiming to that point um then it's Stephen f austin and you know they're kids and yeah. sometimes they they start paying attention to that stuff and they know that they're supposed to walk hey look what we did to houston last week we're going to go in there we're going to roll past this team we're supposed to blah 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 and it didn't happen sfa mm-hmm. just stood around stayed around uh made some plays when they had to I, I do think Taj Brooks is becoming kind of a go-to guy for Texas Tech. He had oh, yeah. a, another big game. And then Eric Izukama Izu- yeah. is, you know, maybe the best wide receiver in this state. Like, uh, he, he may be the best college football wide receiver in the state. He was he was excellent again. So when you have a couple guys like that, you always feel uh, like you're going to be able to pull that game off. But they mm-hmm. were really, really close <laughs> to getting upset yesterday against a, a really scrappy Stephen F. Austin team. Yeah, uh, the the defense, like I said, the defense did keep them in there because you mentioned before Taj Brooks and Ezekiel made those big plays late. You know, it was that defense really keeping them in the game. They had ten quarterback hurries, uh, only got to him twice. And like I said, he, you know, people will look that he almost threw for three fifty, but he needed sixty passes to do it, and he only got one touchdown out of it. Right? It was very much, don't let this offense uh, take advantage of what SFA's defense was forcing because they were forcing. Uh, like I mentioned, the pick six, they had another interception. They had a, a sack fumble um, on, on Tyler Shook. They really kind of messed with that offense a bit. And now, you know, if you're tech, you know, it's not panic mode. Again, I, I was very complimentary of SFA for a reason. I think they are, talent-wise, I think they're a group of five-level-ish team um, based on how Colby Carthos recruited that team, especially the defensive line. And so now if you're tech, you get, you, uh, get um, uh, FIU at home next week, and that should be a fairly winnable game before you got a Texas team that's, you know, we'll see what where they are after next week, but is in a fairly vulnerable place now. I think that you get this wake-up little uh, counterpunch uh, uh, out of the way, and now you move on, right? You shake this off, look to last week as well, knowing that you can get these uh, 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 tough wins against good teams, right, and just kind of um, clean things up for this week. I think it may be one of those things at the end of the, the year, if given truth or Matt Wells is happy with what happened on Saturday, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it can be a real wake up call for that team. I, I do, you know, I, I do think they came out of week one feeling really good about themselves. This allows that coaching staff to like go like, Hey, we're not where we need to be yet. Yeah. We beat right. Houston, but we're, we're not where we want to be. There's some bigger teams coming up on the schedule. Maybe it refocuses them and, and it reminds them, you know, they got to take care of the football. Like if you, yeah. you can't turn the ball over that many times, it doesn't matter how good the team is on the other end. If you turn the ball over that many times, you're, you're gonna, you're, you're, you're flirting with an upset. Right. Exactly. 
All righty, so let's move on to number four. TCU, speaking of wake-up calls, beats Cal 34-32. Um, yeah, this one was weirdly close. I mean, I don't want to say weirdly close because it's two Power 5 teams. By the way, I don't even know if I mentioned the score of the Tech game. They beat them. They beat SFA 28-22. Um, anyway, for TCU, 34-32 over Cal. Cal was right there. They had a 12-0 lead. I believe Max Duggan threw a pick six um inside the shadow of their own goal and their first uh first drive of the second quarter i believe and tcu i mean zach evans is that dude um <laughs> max duggan cleaned up his act later and, and started to, to to settle down a bit uh quentin johnston and zach evans basically here's the game plan how similar to how Taj brooks and eric as a were for texas tech uh evans and johnston were the guys for tcu they it's clear why everybody's uh, excited for this second year of Zach Evans under uh, Gary Patterson. I think that this kind of environment is what he needed to kind of get his college career going, because this is a guy who was the best running back in the state, in the country coming out of high school. And if they can get him going, if this is the start of something for him, I mean, look out 22 carries 190 had a long of 51. He looked like he was in midseason form. Yeah, I mean, and this is a guy who averaged over seven and a half yards per carry as a freshman when he did get in the game. So, I mean, yeah. he, he's really good. There's not many of us who covered recruiting during those years who can find better players in the state of Texas than what Zach Evans was at his mm -hmm. height. I mean, that, that guy was really good. Now, he's got some stuff off the field with immaturity and, and stuff like that that he mm -hmm. has to kind of keep under wraps sometimes. But everything I've heard from TCU is that he's a hard he's, – he's put his head down, he's working hard. Um, and, and yesterday we saw the talent recruiting matters and TCU has two real studs on offense and they both, you know, showed out on Saturday against Cal. And that was in the, the difference in the game. If, if Quentin Johnston uh, can be that high upside, big play wide, wide receiver on the outside mm -hmm. and Zach Evans can be a guy averaging five, six, seven yards per carry. That takes so much off of, of Max Duggan at, at quarterback, and he can be now what he's more comfortable being, and that's a guy just spraying the ball around, not making mistakes, that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I thought it was a good uh, a good showing offensively. Defensively, yeah, that's a different story. I, right. I, I do I do think they just kind of lack mm. – I don't know. They just lack playmakers on side, yeah. that side of the ball. They just, they just lack guys who can go out there and make a play uh you know gary patterson is, is really good at hiding some of that stuff so maybe with more weeks under his belt they get better and better but right now uh the defense looks like the more troubling side of the ball than the offense yeah you mentioned it um i, I would kind of expected this to be the year where we get back to that gary patterson front four and that four two five defense and oshawn mathis was kind of held in check uh uh i'm trying to think of cal's quarterback name uh chase garbers chase garbers had over 300 yards passing um and two touchdowns, basically a clean game, 16 to 27. Um, they ran the ball if decently, but they weren't really trying to. Um, they got beat deep a couple times. And yeah, I don't know. I think, I mean, there's clearly talent, right? D Winters, uh, um, um, Trevious Hodges Tomlin, Tomlinson, like there's clearly upside talent there. But this is a game where you're like, ooh, maybe this isn't exactly the type of unit we wanted to see. Um, I think if you're TCU, I think you're obviously happy about the offense. Like I mentioned, Max Duggan's make, uh, making that in a, uh, uh, early pick, early pick six, kind of cleaning up the game after that. Um, fairly clean game. You have big plays that have kind of plagued TCU the past couple of years, the lack of big plays. And so you get those on offense. But 
I'm looking on defense, a Cal offense that not necessarily known for being great or explosive in recent years. They've been a defensive team. Um, I think there's some question marks, and I'm trying to bring up their schedule really quick to see what they have. They have SMU. Uh, they have a week to prepare for SMU. So, you know, hopefully that's probably a good thing for them. But now you come and bring in this uh, high-powered uh, big play offense, and, you know, you got to shape up quick because that's an offense that can make you pay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that week off is going to be good. You know, Gary Patterson is going to be just drilling some stuff oh defensively. Gosh, yeah. and, and they did, you know, in fairness to them, they lost two, you know, studs from their mm-hmm. secondary. And so, you know, you can have talent back there, but if you hadn't played a lot of games, there's going to be some miscommunications in the secondary, some coverage breakdowns. I think that's what we saw yesterday. I think that gets cleaned up. I think the coverage stuff gets cleaned up. How do you manufacture a pass rush? Yeah, um, that yep. that's going to be the thing that they have to figure out because I don't believe they're good enough in coverage to do that through blitzing. They need their front four uh, to be good, or even front five if you bring a linebacker in there. Right. Gary's not somebody who's going to bring six, seven, eight guys, you know, on a regular basis, and so that front four needs to improve. They need to be better uh, because, like you said, Cal's offense. This isn't Oklahoma. You know, mm-hmm. that, it, it's not. It's not maybe what we used to think of Cal um offensively so uh, i think that was the troubling part but a win is a win this early in the season you saw some good things from that team i i think they have a week to prepare for smu if they come out and fix some of that stuff against smu now we're really starting to buy some buy some hype on on tcu yeah all right moving on to number three i mentioned this poll's probably going to change and this is what i meant texas loses to arkansas 40 21 mike craven what was worse texas's offensive line or texas's defensive line <laughs> uh, that's a that's a tremendous question uh give me texas's defensive line because i expect more from them yeah uh this is you know like what is that danny green quote you know like this is who i thought this is who i thought the <laughs> offensive line was right, you right. know like this is this is what I thought Texas's offensive line would look like. It's not what I thought Texas's defensive line was going to look like. That was supposed no. to be the strength of the defense, maybe the strength of the team yeah. outside of Bajan Robinson. Defensive line was probably the next talked about thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Keandre Coburn, Moro Ajomo, um, the Jacoby Jones, those guys, I mean, they got beat up. Texas went into a fight yesterday. They got punched in the mouth and they didn't respond. And people who have watched a lot of Texas football, uh, post Matt Brown, even some years during Matt Brown, if they can play clean and they can get into like a, a talent versus talent game, they tend to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. When a team comes in and just punches them in the face, they tend to blink. And yesterday we saw a Texas team that blinked. Yep. I think I was wa- I was watching this game and all I could think about was how, I mean, you know, Arkansas's head coach, Sam Pittman, that is an, uh, he's a former offensive line guy. That is an offensive line's dream. Like you yep. watched every the Arkansas got everything they wanted in the run game. KJ Jefferson was fine passing 14 and 19. They weren't trying to pass 47 carries three thirty three on the ground, four touchdowns. I mean, they are those one particular play. I think it was Traylon Smith. I couldn't remember. They ran a counter and it was a, they basically schemed a four V three against Texas defensive line and on the left side, and then a one V one on the right. And they just moved that left side completely out of the way. And it went for a touch or I don't know if it was a touchdown, but a long game. And I was like, there's the game right there. Like they were just getting absolutely everything they wanted on the ground. Um, Again, this is an Arkansas team that we thought was pretty shaky coming off last week. Now, I don't know what to think because they just moved this 
pretty damn good defensive line. Probably, uh, like you mentioned, definitely the probably the strength of the team um, for four quarters. And every time you mentioned or uh, you mentioned them getting punched in the mouth, and it's like every time you thought, okay, here's where Texas takes advantage, right? Arkansas didn't play the cleanest game, especially in the first half. Didn't play the cleanest game. In the second half, they kind of asserted their dominance. But in the first game, in the first half, they had things on the table. It was only like it was only uh, sixteen to nothing, right? And sure, they got blanked, but like you—that's a manageable uh, point spread. Offensively, let's moving moving on to that side of the ball. Texas couldn't get anything going. They, I'm, we knew that Bijan Robinson would be the focal point of this offense, but I'm very concerned that Arkansas of all teams was able to key in on him and make sure that he wasn't going to beat them. And that left Hudson Card. That left later Casey Thompson. And now you have. I don't think a quarterback controversy. I think you got to, I think you got to give Casey Thompson the next game um, because I just don't think the game was on the silver platter and Hudson card couldn't take it. He missed two perfect deep shots late that would have put uh, that would have made the game closer and put them back in it. Um, And when you take away B. John Robinson, they had nothing going. Yeah. I mean, I need to preface this with, I'm a Casey Thompson guy. Yeah. I've always thought he's kind of earned that position the way he played in the Alamo bowl. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's just a gamer. He's just a, I mean, I think he's the all-time leading passer in Oklahoma high school football history here. Mm -hmm. At least he was when he graduated. Um, Look here, here's the thing that Sark one, he can't run his offense that he was running at Alabama because that requires a good offensive line. And this mm-hmm. just is a, it's just is a bad one. So you just, you can't do all those tricks and schemes and moving stuff over here and doing all that exotic things when you can't block the ball. You just, you just, you just can't. So that's, right. he's going to have to adjust his play calling based on the team he has. And the team he has right now is not very good at blocking defenses, specifically when those defenses do any type of stunt or twist or anything. It's like they've never even blocked before uh when they see that kind of stuff two if i do believe that hudson card is a better passer and probably a higher upside prospect long term than casey thompson but if we're all going to admit that this texas offensive line is not good the quarterback who gives you the best chance behind that not good offensive line is casey thompson Mm -hmm. more so than hudson card here's the problem though if you think that Hudson card is your guy for the rest of the year and he just had a bad game, if you start Casey Thompson against rice, he's going to look really, really good because yeah. who's not gonna, against, you know, Hudson will too against rice. Right. So if you right. start Casey next week and he plays against rice, the way that Texas should play against rice, it's going to be hard to get him back off that field. And then what do you do after that? So I, there is, you know, one loss isn't a reason to put, press a panic button on a first-year head coach. They were never going to be what they were against Louisiana every single week of the season. That's, that's not it. But Sarkeesian has some real questions to answer here because you have to juggle egos. You have to juggle transfer portal possibilities and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be real interesting to see what he does with his quarterbacks moving forward. Yeah, I think that you, the question I have is, you know, what is the Texas team that we're, you know, I'm, uh, the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, but is Texas versus Arkansas or Texas versus Louisiana the team that we should be seeing? Because, you know, every question we had about this Texas team came out in this game versus every question we thought we had was seemingly answered against Louisiana. And so, because sure. you mentioned, because uh, we, we talked about the receivers, we talked about the options outside of Bijan Robinson. Okay. That was all the questions we had in this game it was like, okay, where are they? Why, you know, what, who else besides Bijan? What about this offensive line? What about Hudson cards maturity? Um, those were seemingly answered against Louisiana, but now we have them again. And 
you know, he threw Casey Thompson in there when the game was, it wasn't, I mean, they were down 33-7, so I'm not going to say it was, it was right there, but it wasn't exactly 40-7, to right? It was still like fairly decently just at the start of the fourth quarter where, you know, something happens and, you know, you never know what could happen, but it wasn't exactly, the game wasn't completely done. So I wonder if him putting Casey Thompson in in that scenario was basically him saying, you know what, let's see what we got, because this is a, I think that he's, he's somewhat blessed with having two capable quarterbacks and whether, whether or not you think cards, the guy for the future, obviously I'm pretty sure he is, but whether or not you think he's worth burning right now through these mistakes and sticking with over a guy who, you know, might not give you the ceiling, but probably gives you a higher floor. Um, and somebody that we know can play like he did, like he showed last year in the Alamo bowl. Um, you know, I, that's a question, like you mentioned, that's a question that he has to make this, um, especially this uh, upcoming game, I wouldn't be surprised if we see maybe trading quarters a bit because it's going to be rough. It's going to be hard to, to make a definitive decision based off rice because both these guys could look really good. Um, and, and then you got Texas tech, then you go right into big 12 play. So I think this week he's going to have to make a pretty big decision and I'm something tells me he's going to go with uh, Casey Thompson based off of, uh, again, the game wasn't completely out of reach when he made the switch in this game. So, um, and I, yeah, I think we may be kind of, I know this isn't a perfect analogy, but this, mm-hmm. this is, it feels major Apple white Chris Simsey uh, to me where sure. you can already start feeling the fan base picking sides and it seems to be relatively 50, yeah. 50. And then you also have the dynamic of guy who looks really good in practice mm-hmm. versus guy who kind of, just shows up to games and just figures it out and just does things to like make good football plays. And so not that Hudson can't be that person and not that Casey looks bad in practice, but I think we're starting to get some of those dynamics in there. And I think for Sark, the decision can't be who is the best quarterback prospect. The decision has to be which quarterback plays best in this offense. Yeah. And I, I mean, from what we've seen from Casey Thompson, when he plays Texas scores, it happened in the Alamo Bowl. It happened when he got relief duty in Louisiana. And it happened yesterday when he was brought in. The kid goes and makes touchdowns. And that is the goal of offensive football. It's just hard for me to think that you can't, you can't, you got to give him yeah. the first snaps against Rice. I think, I think you have to give him the first snaps against Rice. Sure. All right, moving on to number two. Not much to talk about here, but you know, UTSA takes care of business 54 to nothing over Lamar. Um, kind of a, a nice little cap to last week's big one over Illinois. I was looking for a UTSA team to blow out a team they're better than, and UTSA hasn't been that team uh, recently under under Jeff Trailer. They did it. You got a lot of reps for a lot of guys. I mean, a nearly flawless passing game. Uh, Frank Harris and uh, Atkins uh, combined for roughly. 26 to 32 for 321. Eddie Lee Marburger got in. There's my guy from the RGV. <laughs> I, was, I was so happy to see Eddie Lee get in the game. Um, and I mean, sincere McCormick, light day for him. You don't need him that much. Good. Uh, have him healthy. And I mean, they got Kadrick Cobbs. And I mean, like countless guys just got in the game and it was never in doubt. I mean, I don't think you're looking for anything more than that. Yeah. I mean, that, this was the first shutout UTSA has ever posted in history. Mm. This was the second most points they've ever scored in history. Um, you know, they they scored in the first half via offense, defense, and on special teams. Mm. Everybody stayed pretty healthy. Like you said, they got in all the reserves. 
I, you know, I don't know if I've seen coach trailer as relaxed after a game as he was left, <laughs> you know, like he was very proud of his team uh, for not doing what Texas tech did against Stephen F. Austin. You sure. know, they, they were, they, they knew all week that they had beaten Illinois. It was a big win, maybe the biggest in program history. Were they going to kind of sleepwalk against the team um, that they were better than and they didn't. And that allowed, you know, guys like sincere to basically get, you know, kind of a week off and they're going to need, they're going to need that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, uh, now they got conference USA play coming up. This was, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say they were ever in doubt of, of getting upset, but there, you know, there is some look, there could be some look ahead with the conference schedule coming up and you, know, you having a big win last week, maybe this game gets kind of sandwiched in the middle of game planning. Of course, somebody like Jeff trailer, wasn't going to let that happen and they didn't. So, you know, flaw, basically a flawless performance from them heading into conference play against middle Tennessee next week. Okay. Last one. A&M. Oh boy. Uh, 10-7 <laughs> over Colorado. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, Haynes King gets knocked out on a, I can't remember if it was a carry, I think it was a, I think it was a carry, um, seemed, seemingly injured his ankle, limped off the field, was seen on the boot later, a pretty big boot and crutches later in the game. Zach Calzada comes in and Zach Calzada is the reason why this game was 10-7. Um, look, this, I'm worried for him now. <laughs> um, this defense is phenomenal. I'll start with the good. Defense was phenomenal. Colorado had so many chances to take over this game, and this front seven did not let them. They were uh, uh, Jaden Peavy was a menace. Demarvin Leal was a menace. Brendan Lewis had no idea how to handle anything this defense threw at them. That we knew this was going to be the uh, strength of this team. And my God, yeah, that was. I mean, on the road basically trailing for most uh trailing for most of the game seven three and they were con i mean usually in these kind of games like you see a defense get thrown out there so much if the offense stalls they wear down they didn't wear down they continued to hammer this colorado offense and made sure that zach calzada late in the game finally made the plays he needed to uh to make to win yeah i mean the wrecking crew's back right Man, i mean like yeah. that that that's a that's a AM defense that reminds me of the ones I grew up watching in like the 90s and stuff where they're just they're just a bunch of dudes man sure. even the even the secondary you got like guys like Jalen Jones running out there that look like NFL players already you mentioned the guys up front PV DeMarvi and Leal uh I mean they're awesome and they keep mm -hmm. everybody off the linebackers and the linebackers get to roam free and just clean everything up so they really have it going on that side of the ball I I think we knew that side of the ball was going to be really good though yeah. It was an assumption that the offense would be able to pick up right where they left off, that Kellen Mond was more game manager than superstar and a guy like Haynes King or, or even Zach Dalmata was going to come in there and be mm -hmm. an upgrade over that eventually. That doesn't look true through two weeks. It looks like they are really missing some leadership and uh, just some continuity and, and uh, rhythm on yeah. the offensive side of the uh, offensive side of the football. And, once they get into SEC schedule, and we even saw Colorado do this yesterday, they're going to face eight, nine men in the box, and they're going to force that passing game to beat them. And right now, I don't know if it can beat the big teams in the SEC. They're going to have to really show that over the next few weeks. Yeah, I think that this game, uh, uh, Shahan actually tweeted this out. It was funny. This game makes me appreciate Kellen Mond a lot more because, yeah. you know, you mentioned, I mean, we talked about last week with, with Haynes King and how he made some mistakes, you know, quote unquote, good mistakes that you kind of want him to get out of the way in a comfortable win. 
But then this week, of course, he's probably going to be out for a couple of weeks. You know, there's, I don't, I'm not going to speculate, but there are some rumors that he's going to miss some time, potentially, you know, long time. And so you have Zach Calzada now as the guy. And I don't know, some of it, some of my frustrations was also play calling because I don't think they gave, put Isaiah Spiller in a lot of situations until late, until they needed to, um, to really take some pressure off of Zach Calzada. He, he threw the ball almost 40 times, which I mean, for a Jimbo Fisher offense, that's not what he is known for. So that was kind of frustrating. Um, yeah, look, uh, let's see. Devon Chan had nine carries for 50 yards. Isaiah Spiller, eight carries for 20 yards. Like they, I don't know. Zach Calzada had basically almost as many carries as Isaiah Spiller and Devon Chan. And some of that's through sacks and force uh, uh, rolls that rollouts under pressure and everything. But I don't know. I, if you got to rely on this guy who I, I don't think is that great of a quarterback, um, dis- despite whatever everybody was saying in camp and Jimbo was, oh, it's or it's a it's a close battle between him and Haynes King. I don't think it was that close. Um, I think that Haynes King obviously gave you kind of that superstar potential with especially with his legs. Um, I, I don't know. There were some there were so many moments in this game where I'm like, oh man, AM is in trouble at quarterback. And you talk about SEC where they know, okay, they're going to give the ball to a Chan. They're going to give the ball to Spiller. Yeah. We're just going to make sure that they have to have these kind of games where Zach Calzada throws it 40 times. And if that's the case, you know, I don't see them winning. I, I I'm, I'm really starting to fear for what the ceiling of this team is now. Um, and yeah, I mean, this game, I mean, Colorado's not a great team. That was the other thing was that this was kind of a game I was hoping to maybe that AM would really separate themselves from the rest of the, the power five, the lesser power fives. And I think Colorado is on that lower, if maybe middle tier end of that power five spectrum. And they hung around. Um, granted, they have New Mexico coming up to as a maybe a get right game, but then they got Arkansas, who's coming off a huge win. So I don't know. AM's now all of a sudden very shaky to me. Yeah, and that, you know, everybody, including myself, had circled that Alabama game as the first real test uh, for AM this season. That mm-hmm. changes now. That Arkansas game looks spicy nowadays, you know, and those two yeah. teams too, tend to play really good close games anyway. But um, yeah, I mean, look, sometimes you have to, as an offensive coordinator, as a, as a staff go, yeah, they know we're going to run the ball, but like we're, we have an offensive line and we got two stud running backs. We're going to do it anyway. And if mm-hmm. they stop it the first 10, 15 times, we'll do it another 10 or 15 times. It's not like Colorado was building this big lead and you needed to pass to catch up. I'm with you. I, I, you know, you're looking at the box score and it's confusing. You're wondering if it's some guys have injuries or stuff like that. Cause it's like, why, why wouldn't you just line up and run the ball over and over and over again? You, you have to expect that eventually pops. I think we see them kind of reestablish. I bet that's a conversation that goes on behind the scenes this week. Like, hey, guys, we need to give – Spiller needs 15 to 20 carries. Ache needs 10 to 15 touches in some form or fashion. Um, that's They're going to be their bread and butter, especially if the quarterback position is either banged up or just inconsistent in general, even if Haynes comes back. That running game and defense is going to be where they win football games. They have to dedicate themselves to that and not let a defense kind of scheme themselves out of doing what they do best. You have to just force feed that sometimes. Sure. There were two quotes come out of the post-game press conference. Uh, Jimbo Fisher, I think he realized some of his play calling woes because he said he mentioned that he did not do a good job coaching and he said he could do a better job. So I think that was a little bit of a signal saying, yeah, I think we threw a little too much with a guy who perhaps wasn't, uh, isn't up to the level of that kind of workload that they gave him. The other one that came out that I thought was really interesting 
was, I think Sam Khan had it. Uh, I lost it here for a bit, but more or less it was summarized saying the defense kept coming up to Zach Calzada saying, just give us one drive. We got yeah. it. Right. And I think that that's going to be, here it is right here. Jimbo Fisher said the defensive players were coming over to Zach Calzada and telling him, we'll hold Colorado. You just give us one scoring drive. And that's what he did, right? He gave him one scoring drive at the end and that defense is feeling itself and absolutely shut down Colorado. So, I mean, that might be, the, that might have to be the mantra. And, you know, we, we Arkansas is on the horizon uh, after next week. And I think this, I mean, we, you know, we mentioned Texas's front seven getting bullied. I think this defensive line is good enough to maybe neutralize a little bit to where that is kind of a low scoring game. And, you know, Arkansas isn't running as wild as they did, but that is a challenge now. Now you have one more speed bump before you get to Alabama. We thought this would kind of be, you know, maybe a, a undefeated team going into Alabama. Now, not exactly much of a guarantee, um, you know, Mississippi State's after that, which is, you know, it's kind of whatever, but um yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this offense kind of fixes itself. Uh, we'll talk more about the game and what we kind of expect to see from New Mexico this week on the Wednesday show. Yeah, that oh. Arkansas that Arkansas A&M game is going to be a battle up front. Like, like Arkansas O-line versus A&M D-line and then yeah. Arkansas D-line versus A&M O-line is going to be – there's going to be some man football played in Arlington. Yeah, no, 100%. So – uh, that's it. I mean, we're, we'll we'll have the uh, updated uh, power rankings for you this week. Like I said, we're going to see some more of those, uh, some more shifts coming up with the top half, especially. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I wasn't expecting that much from this week, and we actually got quite a bit from some teams. Um, you know, we'll have to see how somebody like a Texas right rebounds. Somebody how how uh, Texas A&M shapes up. Texas Tech, we mentioned a little bit of a sloppy a sloppy performance, but some wake up calls, some um, uh, kind of uh, shocking <laughs> results, I'd say. Um, now I kind of think now that we're we have kind of one more tune up week before everybody gets into conference play for the most part. And I'm I think I don't know I, the state's kind of in an interesting fluctuating spot right now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, week one to week two is, is the biggest change in college football, right? Because mm-hmm. we just we, you don't have preseason games. You just don't know what to expect week one. You see performances week one, and you start drawing these huge conclusions. We're all guilty of it, myself included. Sure. Just all, you know. And then week two, you start to go, okay, this is actually probably more aligned uh, with what the team is. And then week three kind of gives you that proof. And so uh, I'm always excited for the third game of the season in college football because it feels like a real kind of litmus test of what every program is. Yep. All right. Like I said, we will talk to you guys Wednesday. Uh, thank you for North Texas Honda dealers for sponsoring this show. We will be back this week with a preview.